This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is... Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. again every time that stupid button i hate it so much i was talking to owen just before i went live about how much my computer is doing me in and i knew it was going to mess up the intro and it has but hello welcome i hope you're well and good uh this morning this morning i can't even talk now this is a great start to a brand new season uh as i can't get my words out i can see drew rolling his eyes in backstage. Hello and welcome to TGT. Back again with you guys for another show, for another episode of our TGT podcast. Uh, our first of the season, as I say, and we, we start as we mean to go on to give you guys content throughout the season, discussing, of course, initially all of Arsenal's transfer chaos before, of course, going into the season itself, where we hope we're going to be vying for some, you know, some stuff, some shiny things by the end of the campaign. Anyway, let's introduce you to my panel today. First of all, is the man who just loves to roll his eyes whenever I open my mouth, basically. It's Drew. Hey, dude, mate. Are you well? Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. It's good to be back. For, for starters, I thought when we came on the show, I thought I was on another podcast that looks eerily similar. So oh, I, I thought I was very confused for a moment, you know, prior like, previous discussion, but I'm good. Um, and yes, I'm rolling my eyes at you because if you need to get the loopers out now, get them out now, not halfway <laughs> through the season. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a case of mistakes early. Uh, I mean, Arsenal can't really afford to do that unless they're already doing them, which is kind of the whole point of this show was to look at our Arsenal making mistakes at the start of this window, which there's been a lot of uh, discussion on the tweets that have gone out. I know that you put one out. A few people have been bringing up some points that we're going to talk about in, in just a bit. And uh, it's, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see some of the points we discussed for sure. Secondly, it's John. How you doing, mate? Are you well? Are you good friend? Yeah, yeah, good. New season, new uh, technical difficulties. It seems, but uh, yes, this isn't going to go away. <laughs> I feel like I feel like uh, I feel like it's okay, and it is kind of par for the course with respect to uh, to Arsenal. So it's it's a very appropriate start to a new mm. season of the Gunnar yes, Talk. It so yes, it's it good is. to be back. Thanks for having me on again. No problem at all, friend. No problem at all. And finally, it's Owen Flo Young. How you doing, mate? Are you well? 
I am. I was just joking. It's actually William Thomas is my, my middle name. So that's a bit awkward that you're introducing me wrong. And John stole my joke about um, the start of the show being quite similar to the start of Arsenal's transfer window. So I have nothing else to say, but hello. Okay, well that's Owen. We'll we'll see you next week, and uh, I'll continue the show with uh, with John and Drew. Uh, no, <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure to have you on again, Owen. It's been too long, son, and I look forward to you seeing getting your uh, it's coming home tattoo. Uh, for those that don't know, obviously there's only a, a couple more people watch this show compared to the Gooners podcast, of course. So you may not be aware uh, of the fact that Owen has uh, signed up that he if. If and only if, of course, we know and Drew knows especially that it is indeed coming home. And when it does, um, Owen will have to get as a proud Irishman. Uh, it's coming home, tattooed right across. I believe it's is it your forehead? Is that the right no, area? No, no. <laughs> There's some ongoing discussions as to the location. A tramp stamp has been mentioned. Wow. Um, but uh, I'm not in favour of that, to be honest with you. But we'll 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 leave that for for off the air discussions. <laughs> so the missus says it's coming home every time yeah okay we can see where it's gonna go <laughs> anyway moving swiftly on to start with of course all of our content this evening which does focus around the transfer window now you may associate tgt with being we like to feel one of the more level-headed uh positive side of things um but the thumbnail and the title of today's show kind of focusing around on not necessarily the, neg- the negative side, but more so on kind of trying to understand whether or not things are or aren't going particularly well at this point in time. It is only the 5th of July. The Continental window has only been open five days. Um, but Arsenal are still, of course, to make any official signings. It does look like they're going to be making some signings very soon. And so for only one player is left uh, from, the, from the kind of the main senior squad, that being uh, Konstantinos Mavropanos. We expect another one to be announced very, very soon regarding Gendouzi, uh, which we'll surely talk about soon as well. But, Drew, it's quite quiet. Are you surprised, done in about this? Are you annoyed that nothing much has happened or are you kind of accepting of, of this period of, of time? I mean, I don't know why people are shocked. It's it, it's an international tournament summer. Players don't want to be bothered at the moment. You know, they're focused on whatever's going on with, with the tournament. It's easier to speak to them when they're out of their camp. So, you know, the hope was to get some business done right before it. We didn't. It's okay. You know, we're still making progress on players that aren't really involved or that they were involved and now they're not anymore. So I'm not fussed with it. I just kind of feel like, I don't know. I, I mean, again, I, I get the angst. You know, it's, as much as I take the piss out of it on Twitter a lot of the time, I understand why fans can get frustrated because it seems like, you know, the longer you wait, the players that you're in for, potentially are in for, they, their heads might be turned from another from another club that might gain interest. So I understand why fans want business done and they want it done now. They want to just get the ball rolling. I get it. But um, there's still plenty of time left before the season starts. You know, you've got a month and a half, two months before you're really worried about it. So, no, I'm not, I'm not too fussed. Um, I'm, I'm trying not to be invested to the point of depression this season. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to take it one step at a time. <laughs> wait until the end of the summer, see where our business lays at the end of it and see how the club intend to go forward. And then based off that, maybe you can look at that and then and, and see where we're going to end up at the end of the season. So I'm just trying to take it one step at a time and when when chance we start rolling in and out, we'll see. So we'll just take it from there. Yeah, it is a, a little bit, I think, for me anyway, seeing some deals of other clubs get done. I mean, Kanata, of course, going to Liverpool, seeing Leicester do some really good business earlier on with, with Pats and Dak. I mean, that for me, 
And you know me, with my Red Bull Salzburg, seeing obviously them go out and sign that. See Brighton today get linked with Inok and Wepu as well. Uh, <laughs> it's just painful. It's never seeing Arsenal go for one of those fantastic talents. John, uh, how have you enjoyed seeing our world-class midfielder that's about to leave perform out of his skin at the Euros this summer? <laughs> uh, well, you, you know, I have a kind of documented history on on liking Granajaka to to many people's <laughs> and like I've I've gotten a lot of stick for for my uh support of, of Granajaka knowing that he's you know not the greatest player in the world there is the limitation oh no but, but he is did you not have you not seen the Euros like he, he is like, the greatest player ever <laughs> I, I get look he 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 put in an amazing performance but like I'm not I'm not unrealistic about what kind of limitations he has but I'm also not blind to the the positive qualities that he has so uh, when I'm looking at the summer and I'm looking at what we need to do, assuming that he is going to leave and it looks more likely that he is likely going to, to Italy, Roma, or, uh, you know, some other, cl- clearly somewhere in Italy. Um, I think that it, it definitely raises a lot of questions as to how Arteta is going to want to proceed from a tactical standpoint going forward. And then what kind of players, and, and I believe that there needs to be multiple players that need to be signed to, to fill in that slot because, uh, and I'm, I'm guessing we can get into that a little bit more. I don't know how I don't know how in depth you want me to get into why I think that j- at this point in the podcast about <laughs> about what I think we need to do now that Jock is leving. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was just introing you, bro. <laughs> oh, I'm like I'm like here 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 here's this controversial question that we can get it started off right off the bat. But look, man, the guy I, you gotta love it. You gotta love when a player who is who is so divisive just puts in a performance that you can't really question on a stage that big. It's, it's, I love it when it happens. I love it. That's why I love football. One of the reasons, many reasons why I love football are, are narratives like that. So look, man, good for him. He, I, hopefully he added some value to his, <laughs> to his sale price there because you know, those pictures of him in the huddle were just great. And um, I'll stop kind of waxing poetical about Jacques before you lose half your listeners. Uh, Sam Trester in the chat, thank you so much for the, the super chat. This is uh, Drew. I mean, I, I can't believe you put it in that order, to be honest. But Drew, Drew Tom, John, and Owen, thank you so much for tuning in uh, on the same show. How could we not smash a like? Thank you, Sam. Much appreciate it. I, I assume someone on that list is your favorite, clearly. Um, anyway, <laughs> Owen, I mean, I've asked John there. It was only introing him in, but he wanted to get deep. So are you Arteta in or Arteta? No, I'm only kidding. Um, <laughs> when it comes down to... Where do you stand someone... on the ownership? <laughs> Yeah. Are you? I mean, you've been cronky in for a long time, Owen. Can you explain your own? <laughs> when, it, when it, you look at kind of some of the the performances that we are seeing at the Euros and seeing some of the links, now I'm playing on the fact that obviously your your namesake in front of you there, the ITKs, ITK. Has, has that been your favourite part of the window so far? Like looking at some of the crazy links to players that are having a decent Euros that have been pretty rubbish everywhere else in their domestic sense. And have you also enjoyed the fact of just seeing the utter chaos uh, that you see drip drab through uh, the, the, the socials? Yeah, well, it, it's actually funny because it, it's kind of ironic that that name, the ATK, is ATK because I'm actually, uh, as a lot of people know, off Twitter at the minute. So in comparison to maybe last season, the, the nonsense that I'm being drip fed is very, very slim. Um my actual and, and look, don't take this as too much flattery, Tom McKay, but it's just convenient for me. Um, but my 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 Hold actual. On, let, me, uh, let me get my jacket on first. To appreciate. <laughs> my my, my soul trans my soul transfer information comes from your daily eight o'clock shows. Make sure you tune in. That's a plug. That'll be a favor. Um, 
and uh, the stuff the and the, 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 the stuff that's put into the WhatsApp group. So in terms of nonsensical links and stuff like that, I'm actually quite sheltered from all that at the minute. But it's actually uh, it's quite positive. Uh, I'm slightly conflicted because I'm annoyed at such a pivotal time um in arsenal's history that we how big this transfer window is and how much even uh Edu and arteta have emphasized that as well themselves they've come out quite publicly and and stated how they've got a plan in place and to see nothing really being done yet i know we said that signings are getting closer but really they're they're backup signings and but one thing i am very positive with with is there's a clear demographic as to who we are trying to target you know we're not going and we've now seen the backup left back isn't going to be someone like a Ryan bertrand as much as i think he is he's a very good footballer and could have done a job for us they seem to be finally learning from the previous mistakes that have got us into this trouble um they're they're going for more up-and-coming players on the cheap with sell-on value and and high ceilings and potential depending on which one you're talking about really but no um in terms of what i'm saying as well with from people from the euros say the links to locatelli as much as i don't think that deal is really viable or or, or that it, we have much of a chance of getting it done it's good to see that the club are exploring those avenues and the possibilities of those um James Madison would fall into that there as well. Uh, so yeah, no, I think look, as much as it's frustrating, there's good signs to come. The one thing I will say is that I have often said as well with Mikel Arteta and Edu that I often think that sometimes they're very, very lucky of having a safety net of an excuse um, at the time, whether it's COVID or or player injuries or um, having to play, for example, Emil Smith Rowe, and that was due to injuries and and people being unavailable for selection and now i think with um with the european championships as well that's another excuse as to why business hasn't been done but th- there's a few players that aren't at the european championships that could be brought in at this stage so um i don't know conflicted is what it would be say i am at this moment in time it's going to be an interesting one to see how the kind of the different stories we see come out when the Euros actually finishes. But we're not going to talk about that because we're not really looking ahead too much. We're kind of looking at what's happened currently. And, and of course, we will get into kind of some of the stuff that needs to happen. But there is only, for me, one real kind of place to start. Talk about a player that I think Drew, everybody just agrees on, really, and that's William Saliba. Um, but <laughs> there is There is, for me, no greater kind of discussion topic right now about kind of a split in the fan base. So we love to talk about splits in the fan base with the managers, with the ownership, well, much less so with the ownership these days. Um, but in regards to William Saliba, it's just a, a topic which has really angered uh, and almost, I, I feel like there's almost a little bit of a cult kind of feeling around the player at this point um, in the sense that we haven't seen this guy play. This will be his third season, it seems, going out on loan. And every single part about this deal, about this situation, about this player, there is nothing good that the the club is coming out for. I've tried to really kind of step myself back from this situation a bit, try and look at it without the frustration, without the anger of wanting to see him play and think, you know what, he's not played for the last three seasons. I mean, we did a show where he's played 16 appearances in his last season as a Saint-Étienne player. He played 12 appearances in his first season on loan back at Saint-Étienne. He played 16 appearances, I think, in that season, as well, and then 20 appearances, sorry, in the in the Nice loan. So he's barely got a season in, um, and now he's not going to get a season in this season because we're looking like we're going to sign a £50 million centre-back. And so I was trying to piece together something to make me feel like, yeah, 
going on loan makes sense. Now, am I mad and just trying to make sense of a bad situation or is there any truth to that? And how do you ultimately feel about the whole Saliba sitch? Um, I, I don't know. There's just too many kind of subplots with this one to really kind of narrow on just one. Uh, you and I talked about this as well the other day, didn't we? Um, and for me, there's a few things. So one, I'm not upset that he chose to go back, that he chose to go to Marseille. I think when you look at it, Marseille have Europe next season. They're a big club in France. There's going to be expectations around how he performs at a big club. Marseille arguably the second biggest club in France, really. They're huge. So, and they have Europe. So for me, from that standpoint, he still has to deal with expectations about how he performs. He's going to get minutes in Europe, which he's not going to get at Arsenal or any club that was infirm on loan. So automatically that's good for his development as well. Um, and then despite that, I think the one aspect that people really aren't considering, or if they think about it, they make light of it, is he's still not that far removed from what happened with his personal life, with his family. And because he chose to go back to France, tells you that maybe he's not completely 100% ready yet to remove himself from that environment fully yet. Maybe he needs another year. We don't know that. Um, I'm fine with the fact that he was able to choose his destination. I think that goes back to what you and I talked about. You, you, you were saying how you think clubs should should guide a player towards their, their own destination. I don't necessarily disagree with that. But if you look at, for example, look at the fact that Newcastle were interested. I don't want William Sleeve on loan at Newcastle, not because they're a poor club, but it's because he's not going to play the type of football we are going to use him for when we have him. So he needs to be in an environment where he's playing the brand of football that we're going to want to institute him into when he comes to Arsenal. And Marseille are going to be way closer to that under San Paolo than he's going to be um, getting at Newcastle, wherever their new manager is going to be next season. So for me, I'm fine with that as well. Um, I understand the fact that people want him to get Premier League minutes and adapt to the culture and, and adapt to England. I, I take all that on board. But I think of the my take on it is we don't know the, all the options, but of the options that were available that we know of, Marseille is the best choice given a, a varying degrees of factors. So I'm fine with it. Um, as for the fan reaction, I think it's weird that there's such a cult following around him, despite him never playing a minute for the club yet, really. I think fans get too attached too quickly on what a player's potential is, and you're already seeing it with the Lekonga signing. No one in his fan base had a clue on who this kid was at all until we were linked to him. And now all of a sudden, he everybody's not on day one. It's going to be pandemonium. And now everybody all of a sudden is an expert on Lakanga. No one knew a thing about him. But the fact that but the fact that they heard that he's now thought of as highly as Telemans was when Telemans and like all of a sudden everyone's Lakanga this Lakanga that can't wait to get him in. Billy moved by the club. It's that's what I mean. People are attaching to what they hear, not what they see. You just don't know. He's not as much as I'm fine with, given the nature of the season, giving him the opportunity to start on match day one. I don't think he's going to, and especially if we're linked with someone like Locatelli or, or of that profile, that tells you that the club don't think Lakanga is going to be started this season. That's a more of a long term deal, and we should be fine with that. But it's just like for me, I just think that the fans have to detach themselves from what they see from a player who is elsewhere and what they expect from them when they come here especially when they're younger. So it's just, you know, you got to find the balance. But I'm fine with the sleeper deal. I, whether we sell him, whether he integrates next season, I don't know. You don't know. So I'm, I'm not even going to speculate. It's just a matter of hope he does well in his lawn at Marseille. Hopefully he gets the closure that he might potentially need, given what he's gone on with his personal life. Hopefully what Ornstein said in his tweet about 
the club still have a long-term plan for him. Hopefully that's the case. And if it is the case, then we move forward from there and we just take it one step at a time. I'm, I'm really not, again, I'm not trying to get invested to the level that some of our fans have gotten invested to when it's nothing to invest in yet. So I think for me, that's the key. And, and that's kind of where I kind of drop it for myself. I, for me, the, the whole Saliba situation has always been very much attached to Mikel Arteta himself and always kind of this, this thing about Arteta hates him. Is, is what we hear. Arteta doesn't rate him. Arteta hates this kid. He never wants to use, never wants to play him. But we don't know <laughs> behind the scenes. Like, well, ultimately, the fact of the matter is, is we don't know. We can make a pretty good guess that right now he doesn't rate him because if he did, he would be playing him. He would be in the squad and he would be getting chances. The, the personal side of the, the thing, to make it kind of a social link, it, to make it kind of personal, like you, can't, you just don't know. So, John... Does Arteta hate Saliba? <laughs> um, look, the, the biggest thing about the Saliba situation is just the lack of kind of a clear picture as to what's going on. We can kind of extract bits and pieces from what we hear in, in various tweets from sources that claim to have some kind of an insight into it. And, and from that, you never get a full picture of it. So when you're sitting back and you're trying to analyze, look, what's going on with this situation, it's very opaque and it's very nebulous and it's very difficult to kind of pinpoint exactly where what to expect from it because it's kind of... It is kind of brand new territory for us. Um, I can't recall another loan signing that young, that expensive, that has not even kicked a ball for us. Not even a preseason. I I can't. If you could think of one, if someone on this chat can think of one, I can't. So to, to kind of sit back and say, hey, how are we going to intelligently unpack exactly what's going on with the signing or what to anticipate for the future of the signing is extremely difficult for me. All I know is that it's very, very odd. It's very odd that we have this high talent, you know, and and we paid this much money for him and he hasn't even kicked the ball for us. And I think that's the kind of I don't I don't really know if you want to call it confusion, but it seems like the best way to describe it amongst the fan base is that, you know, there's a confusion based off of his apparent talent and his apparent and his actual price tag and the fact that he hasn't played for us so what do we do what do we extrapolate from that like clearly the easiest answer is that the manager doesn't like him or doesn't rate him for whatever reason but as drew pointed out there are all these corollary reasons besides or alternative reasons besides the fact that the manager doesn't like him as to why maybe he's not ready to play for us yet in which case that the decision not to play him might be the greatest possible move for not only the club but for the player himself as a human being not just you know an athlete who has no feelings and things like that so I think that I think it's a weird situation I don't know if there's a clear-cut answer with it and I think it's hard to say one way or another what the manager feels about him um, just because we haven't seen him but it's bizarre it's bizarre and I'll tell you what when I'm thinking about our moves this summer, it's clear when we're looking at Ben White and things like that, that we're trying to replace players like like uh, Louise, who, you know, we want to play this deep lying uh defensive player who can actually move forward you know with, with Louise he was able to play a long ball out to the wings with this guy with white it seems like he's going to be able to carry the ball well but um you know we don't know what Saliba would really have to offer like like uh Drew was kind of pointing out that we don't we know what he can play when he's on loan in France but when you put him in this Arsenal side we don't know what it's like now ostensibly the manager has seen him in training and things like that. And if it was something that was so vital to the way that we were playing or the way that he was practicing and setting up, 
surely we would have seen him. So the fact that we haven't mm -hmm. says that there's either something wrong with the way that he's playing from a tactical perspective, or there's something personally wrong with him that is just not gelling or, or something like that. Because it, like Drew said, if he was playing well in, in the sense that he was fitting in and he was mentally uh, mature and ready enough to to play in the side. I don't see why he wouldn't, other than the manager just not liking him. And for some and for some reason, I can kind of see that because Arteta does. I don't want to call him petty, but does seem to have the my road, my way or the highway about him. So maybe that's not really gelling with Saliba, and that might be one of the explanations. But like I said, it's opaque and it's very weird and it's unprecedented in my opinion. Sam, again, thanks so much for the uh, super chat. He says, we love to jump to conclusions in this fan base without really knowing the facts. The club is a lot to blame by not being open with us uh, on Saliba from the get-go. There is kind of a bit of a media silence around the whole Saliba situation. I hope that when this loan is seemingly announced that we do hear something, do hear some words of encouragement that, in fact, they do kind of see him very much as the... Um, that someone they see in the future. And, and fingers crossed they, we see him play in the future as well. But there is so much kind of just monotonous, nothing answers we get when Arteta's kind of questioned on it. And it's just very much like he's under contract, he's our player, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just politically kind of responded to, um, which I think rolls up the situation even more. I mean, mm -hmm. Owen... There is obviously, he, he is obviously a very talented young player. He showed that on his loan at Nice last season, did really, really well there. But at the same time, Arsenal are in a situation. I was I brought this up on a video I posted on Twitter earlier and to Insta as well. What we're doing, like kind of these one-minute discussion videos um, about how many kind of 21 and under players do you put in a Premier League side? Because if you look at your cities, your Chelsea's, your United's, your Liverpool's, the top teams in the world that are pushing for the position where we want to be, like we want to be where they are. That's our ultimate goal is to try and get back into that established top four position. How many of them are playing with more than one or two 21 year olds and, and younger? And Arsenal have already got Saka and Smith Rowe. We're desperate and the fan base is desperate to see Martinelli get more minutes. We're now desperate to see Saliba play. How do we find this balance? And, and then the, the I mean, the counter argument, to be fair to people that raised it, people say, well, if you're good enough, then you should play, mm -hmm. uh, which is a, a completely fair argument. However, I do kind of associate the fact with 21-year-olds and younger, there is an element that goes beyond just quality, that goes into mm -hmm. kind of the psychological aspects, the experience that goes with more years under your belt. And, and can you really put four-plus 21-year-old and younger players in a team that wants to compete with your Chelsea's, your United, your Liverpool's, your City's to get that top four spot? It, it's incredibly hard to find the right balance with that, I think, especially for a club in decline like like Arsenal is. Um, I suppose the obvious one people are going to jump to uh, it, it, like in defence of that would be saying Fofana at Leicester, but I don't think they're overly comparable and it was circumstantial that he got that opportunity. And actually, I think... I could correct me if I'm wrong. I think that even though he was quite good, I think Leicester conceded more goals with him in the side than without. So you know that that would maybe um, uh, go against that argument. But look, I think with those young players, you're at risk of seeing burnout um, over an extended period of time. I think we saw that towards the end of the season with with Bukayo Saka in terms of his uh, numerical output um, towards the tail end of last season. Um, but look, I think the lads, in terms of William Saliba in particular, the lads covered everything pretty much spot on. The only one thing that I would add to that is 
And the one thing I keep coming back to, and it's a very, very, very simple argument and very, very, very simple question to ask yourself. And it's, do I trust Mikel Arteta with the future of William Saliba in the fragile state that it's in? And the answer is no, not not at all. We're, we're talking about a kid who's coming in with a massive reputation before he was coming in, tipped as being the next Rafa Varane, um, even though I hate uh, those next things. Uh, but uh, coming in with a massive reputation, touted to be the next big thing, that he was a fantastic player. And Mikel Arteta has taken a disliking to him for whatever reason, as you said, Drew, whether that be personal or tactical, we don't know. We can only speculate. But for me, what what is clear is that it's fine in saying how many 21-year-olds or 20-year-old centre-backs start for other top teams. But the other top teams aren't in the, aren't in the state that we're in. You know, they're not competing against someone like a Rob Holding or a Pablo Mari or, 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 or players of that mould. You know, they're much higher quality centre-backs at those clubs. So I, say, I think the circumstances are different. Um, but for me, again, it just goes back to that point of do I trust Mikel Arteta to handle the situation? And for me it's a no and I think this could be one of those ones where we look back like a people people do it with Serge Gnabry or whoever you want to name the, the amount of players that we've let go of them went on to do quite well but I think this could be one that we look and say that this was handled terribly and it is because at the end of the day he comes back from this loan with two years left on his contract and, and it's crunch time Yeah I I do agree in the sense that the reason why obviously other teams don't play with with many 21 yards is because they've got those experienced players they've built that squad really really well and and ultimately the reason why there is an argument to say we should play Saka and Smith Rowe Martinelli and and Saliba is because they're better than the options that they're up against and it is a solid point and and to that I know that Drew you want to kind of come in on on a point about uh Saliba as well and, and talk specifically about uh something that was said in the chat as well yeah, just briefly, the, someone mentioned Malang Sar in the chat, and that's the perfect comparison because he came like very highly touted from Ligon as well. The first thing Chelsea did when he arrived was ship him right back out on loan because he was not going to play for Chelsea at all his first season. He was going to get minutes in France. It's it's almost it's an almost identical situation. The only difference is Saliba has slightly larger expectations attached to him. But it's the same premise. No one in Chelsea's fan base argued with the fact that Sarge should be going in or out. And they didn't know they were getting Thiago Silva at the time, I'm pretty sure. I think the Silva deal happened after that fact. So, mm-hmm. um, But again, this goes back to Owen's point. It's, it's valid that you know when you're looking at what our centre-back options are and the fact that we're also letting centre-backs go is that you know maybe now is the perfect chance for him to get a chance. But I think if... Arteta trusted Saliba, we would be getting Ben White and Saliba would be coming in and it would have a role in the first team. I think that's that's the difference for me. But also long-term, getting White doesn't necessarily inhibit Saliba's future at the club either because we don't know what's going to happen with Rob Holding. We don't know what's going to happen with Pablo Mari. And if it's, it's, it's been kept saying to uh, to us by the regime or by watching whatever mouthpiece is that he still has a long-term future with the club, then... We just have to put faith in that. And I know that's hard to say because there's so many questions and there's not a lot of transparency. We've all talked about that before. Um, but again, and as, we, as we all, we've all just stated, there are very few 20-year-old centre-backs starting in the Premier League. Not just the Premier League, for any club of note. Usually they don't. You don't see it happening at Bayern. You don't see it happening at Real Madrid, Barcelona very rarely. You know those those level clubs. You don't in their UVA twenty year olds don't start at center backs for those clubs. So it's and 
what kind of frustrates me, and I kind of want to get your guys' take on this, is the fact that a lot of our fans really genuinely think, rightly or wrongly, that we should be challenging for top four this season genuinely, that there's no excuse now because we don't have Europe, right? So we can solely focus on the league, really make a strong push. Do you really think we can challenge for top four with a large portion of our starting 11 being teenagers or just over that age? I don't think we can. And I think I think that's the balance. I mean, that's what frustrates me is that fans are demanding a serious push this season, but they want to do it with a 20-year-old starting center back with a 22-year-old other starting center back. That's probably not going to be what's happening. So that for me is, that's what I don't understand. So I want to, I want to know what you guys feel about that because for me, it just seems like, and this is kind of something that I've banged on before and I'm not trying to rag on the fan base. Sometimes I do like with reason. And I, I don't, I don't say it, I don't because sometimes I think that there, there should be criticisms, but for, for this, I kind of feel like we need to know what our priorities actually are. If we want to persist with someone like Saliba and the team, then we have to consign ourselves to thinking that we can't get top four this season, that we have to push for maybe finishing fifth or sixth at, at, at best, considering the teams in and around us or above us. Or if we want to challenge for top four, maybe going after someone like a Ben White or, or whoever is going to be that much better in the immediate future. That gives us a better chance of pushing on because obviously the club rate Ben White higher than they do William Sleeper. So if that's the case, regardless of the fee, if that's going to give us a better chance of finishing better than we would be without him, then that's kind of would be what my take would be is what we should be focusing on. But I want to know what you guys think. Well, I could jump jump in there real quick. So uh, one thing I just wanted to point out, we mentioned SAR, but I think some important aspect of that is that that Chelsea backline was more or less situated at that point. So it wasn't like our situation where we're having probably our most experienced defender leaving in David Luiz. Um, and now we're having a bunch of younger players and we don't really, if I said, who is our back line next season? None of, I don't think any of you are going to give me an answer. That's something reasonable because we, we have a lot up in the air with, with respect to the back line. And yeah. when, when we're considering like the importance of, of, uh, and forget, not even just the back line, the goalkeeper situation now. Now Runnerson's leaving, we have one goalkeeper. So uh, we really got to sort this back line out. Are we trusting a player like Saliba to come in and do that? I don't necessarily think so. And I mentioned er- the first kind of diatribe I gave when Tom was just trying to intro me was uh, mentioning was mentioning uh, David Luiz and his tactical ability to kind of play the ball out, out from the back. And we know that, especially if we're going to have some kind of tinkering to do in the midfield next season, which we are, we're going to have to bypass the midfield sometimes. And we had a lot of opportunities to do that with players like David Luiz and with Granit Xhaka. Both of them leaving now, we're going to either have to play the ball through the midfield with some technical midfielders who can hold the ball, which does anyone trust Arsenal to make those signings? No. Or a player like Ben White, who's going to come in and be able to carry the ball up to, you know, up into our own half and, and, and create the play from, from there. So I think that when you're looking at, at what, are we going to do what are we going to do to either ensure and i'll get to your question in a minute what our goals are which i think have, <laughs> Thanks, which, which i think have to be top four you got to look at what is this back line going to even look like what is what are we going to try to do going forward and and i think that is the the first question that needs to be to answer from a tactical perspective but actually i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna go back on that i think that your question is the one that needs to be answered first is that what is our goal next season it has to be top four we have to get back in europe uh we, i think either through the champions league which would be ideal that's our, our main goal or at least through europa league again which is extremely depressing to say because a couple seasons ago we were like uh, kind of commiserating over the fact that we're going to be playing in Europa League, not in Champions League anymore. Now it's like, please, we need to get back in Europa League. 
um, at least. So I think our goal is definitely to get in Europe one of those spaces in order to do that. And one of the reasons why everyone's so upset about Saliba, I think, is because it's so obvious that that back line needs to be fixed and and needs to be solidified because we're losing important players there. We're losing uh, uh, defensive stability and it's going to be up in the air. And I think it goes to your question or kind of one of your comments rather is that do we have a 20 year old player come in a next alongside players like Mari along players like holding? Is that the answer? If our goal is to get into a top four European spot, I don't think we can. And I think that's the difference between a SAR and, and uh, Saliba because SAR left, but it was okay because their back line was more or less stable. It wasn't like, what are we mm -hmm. doing? We only have one goalkeeper and we have a bunch of 20 year olds playing in the defense. So that's where and we're at now. Free. And he was free. So it wasn't their one of their biggest signings for a defender. And he, you know, and I get he's young and all that. And we make stupid moves and his price shouldn't matter. But of course it does. Because in not only in that player's mind, but everyone else on that team and everyone in the footballing world for the most part is going to look at that price tag and make make uh make assessments about based off of that. The player is, his teammates are, it's not a non-entity, it's not a non-factor in this discussion. His price so people could just dismiss the price as oh it's who cares you know pepe costs 70 million the whole narrative the media other players everything about about pepe has been his price tag how can we say that that's irrelevant we can't so all of that comes together it's anyway i don't know i, I kind of answered your question i think we, we, <laughs> we, we need to go in the, we do need to make top four uh or top wherever we need to get into europe basically and i think that we need to sort out our back line and that's probably why one of the big reasons why saliba went alone and because our back line is not stable i think that that's one of the differences between the sar situation and saliba deep breath breathe in and rant <laughs> i mean i mean how are you feeling about that kind of i'll let you round off this saliba tracks we have been going for 35 minutes on it i mean are, do you think ultimately there is? Are you said earlier that you don't you don't trust Arteta with Saliba, which is completely fair enough, and like there's all the evidence in the world to, to back up that point. He goes on loan this this season. Say he plays a first full season in three years, which is what it would be. It would be a first full season playing at a senior level for three years. He gets 38 games under his belt, barring any injuries, of course, and comes back to Arsenal. Is there any future you think for this kid? Um. To be perfectly honest, I think the, the only future I see for William Saliba at Arsenal is that if Mikel Arteta is unsuccessful this season and has moved on, um, somebody put into the live chat earlier the fact that William Saliba was sitting at Watford after being signed in with the fans. Make no mistake about it, William Saliba wants to play for Arsenal Football Club. I think that you see from his comments in the media um, through his interviews that that he's quite hurt at the fact that he hasn't even been given a chance yet. Um, so for me, this one must sting for William Saliba as well. He seems like another, uh, another kid coming out of the French camp with maybe a little bit of spice in his attitude as well. That could possibly be part of the reason he's, he, he's uh, in sort of thought I love from Mikel Arteta um, but yeah look he's a fantastic player with a big reputation he's went to Nice he's proved it and I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that he will go to Marseille and he'll shine again it's just a case of whether the landscape at Arsenal changes and to be perfectly honest if we're going off maybe the last 18 months of what we've seen from from this team and, and manager unless there's drastic changes uh, throughout the transfer window I think the most likely thing is that William Saliba could return under different management.
yeah, there's all the possibility in the world that that could happen. And I think a lot of people will look at this situation and think of the money that we spend. But I think also they detach from that, the fact that he was bought under a completely different regime at the club. But I, th- well. I, th- I think isn't that, that surely plays into it because I know myself, I, I, I've already gone into this transfer window and sort of came to, came to the conclusion that I'll wait until all the business is done before I blow a gasket and start going yeah. mad. All right, but I do understand the fact that we're told that Arsenal have limited resources, that it's a pandemic, um, you know, uh, there's been a pandemic and, and, and funds have been impacted. And I think that that's the thing, that not what people think of of Ben White as a player or, or anything, but that there's the possibility of 50 million going on a centre-back when all, there's all these other positions to be filled and people are saying, is it really necessary to offload that much on a position that we supposedly had one of the top European prospects to fill already. And I think that's where it's bothering people. Yeah. I I think that was kind of the next actual topic that I wanted to come on to is, is the kind of the, where we're putting our funds. So thanks, Owen, you've done my job for me. Much appreciated. I don't read the private chat. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, if you did, you'd find out that John's John, you're, you're negative Nelly. That's what oh, you are. <laughs> Someone in the chat said, I'm, the, I'm, I'm one of the negative fans. That's all right. Oh, God. <laughs> it must be the first time shooting into you, John. It must be it. I don't know what you said that was negative. I don't think I said anything <laughs> negative. I, was, I thought I was being pretty reasonable about that. I was like trying to give fans who are upset a, like, a, like a basis for do, being upset. And, uh, yeah. you know, I don't, I, I wasn't saying I agree with it. I was just saying, like, this is a possibility. I, yeah. I, you know, but you know, apparently John, it's negative. Can't please everyone. This is part of the game. This is the business we're in, so. <laughs> but yeah, like, so, what, so is the is the argument that like you're not rational for being upset over a situation? You're being negative. What, like, it, it, do I? Do you always have to look at the bright side of things? Or if, hey, or, I, I put up a video today on the so the one I put up on Twitter and. So, someone said that like none of the youngsters have improved, like, and we're playing all of these. And I said I don't agree with that. I think Emil Smith Rowe and I think that Saka have both improved in the last six months under the current coach. Of course. And I was told that oh, you're making excuses for Arteta, and it's a, it, like you can't voice an opinion without coming across one way. And I wanted the guy gone at the end of last season. I thought he deserved to be sacked. And yet I'm still apparently making excuses for the coach by saying of course. that I think those two players have improved. And you, under could just this be, and, you can, and you could be realistic. Like the positive thing would be if Saliba worked out, he came in the season and we got top four, but that's not happening. And by acknowledging that, it's not negative. It's just like, look out your window. Realistic. There's a tree, you know, it's not, that's not, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's just reality. Rational. Yeah, it's rational. It's completely rational. Anyway, Drew, is, is what talking about rationality? Is it rational that Arsenal spend fifty million pounds on a centre back after having the second best defence in the league last season? I mean, yeah, if you think about it, because I mean, the fan base. Oh my god! Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Careful, they'll come for you. Negative. So one of the things that requires you to be able to get to the top, so you have to, once you get there, you have to be able to remain there. And part of that is you always have to make yourself better. And unfortunately, the nature of the Premier League is very much, it's very much like an arms race. Every summer, every top team brings in top talent, try to make sure they can keep pace with the clubs that are around them. Or if you win the league, you want to make sure you can stay to win the league, and you have to do that by signing players. It's one of the reasons why 
Liverpool had such a hard fall from grace after they won Champions League in the league is because they didn't sign anybody and, and other clubs around them passed them over in terms of depth of quality and maybe starting 11 quality. And that was one of the issues. So yes, I do think, and, and, and make no mistake, I think we've come leaps and bounds uh, where we were previously with the defense to where we ended up last season. I think we were brilliant by, by comparison, but it doesn't mean that the work is done. It means you have to continue to keep yourself at that level. And it's been proven time and again in the Premier League that having a really good uh, defense in terms of both personnel and, and, and the way it operates is one of the key things that you need. Oftentimes, if you're not scoring goals, if you're keeping them out, you'll still end up higher in the table by comparison with teams that score more goals than you. Leeds scored more goals than we did, but their defense was poor by comparison. Thus, we finished ahead of them in the table. So that's just one kind of microcosm example. So for me, I mean, I don't know where I stand on the price of White. I mean, we can all sit here and say we understand it. He's young, he's an English international, you know, he's, you know, homegrown tax, all these things come into play. We've seen it before. We fleeced people for 40 million for both Oxley Chamberlain and Alex Wilby. So why are we shocked that Ben White's gonna cost 50 million? We didn't remotely deserve 40 million for Wilby for, as an example. Um, I, I understand this, it's a depressed market, so the theory that Ben White would cost even more in a non-depressed market is irrelevant to me, though, because if, if Ben White's going to come in, presumably as a starter, and make us better, then I'm fine with spending £50 million for him. Because, again, if if his profile grows with the club, if we improve with him in the back, if we, for some strange reason, ever needed to sell him later on down the road, we're going to make a profit on his sale for the reasons why we're spending 50 million on him now. The same reasons why we can get a large sum from him later if we had to sell him. I'm not saying we're going to buy him to sell him. I'm saying if, worst case scenario, it came to that. My only concern now is, are oh, we going to get better? And I, I think a lot of the fans have been conned into thinking, well, not conned, I wouldn't say conned. I'd say the line from the club has been that we need to be smart in the market because funds have been tight, which has been true. But if it is true this season that we're prepared to actually spend, then the funds should then become irrelevant. I don't care how much Ben White costs. I care about if Ben White's going to make us better. Does Ben White fit what Miguel Arteta wants? If these things are all true, then go out and spend 50 million pounds on Ben White. That's it. That's that's where the buck stops for me. I just want us to be better. Um, I know it's not going to be as fashionable as going and getting someone like Tapsoba from Leverkusen or something like that, but... You know, I think if if he fits the bill, he fits the bill. Then that's it for me. Fifty million it is, and fifty million it is. So, what frustrates me, and I'm having a couple of discussions in the chat box while you were talking there, is that people are so dismissive around about Ben White because of the existence of Saliba. That that that's what yes. really gets me. That yeah. that's what really bugs me is that you can't look and you can't go out and actually listen to the people that have genuinely watched Ben White for the last two years, see how they assess this guy, and go. Okay, he actually sounds pretty darn good. And when you go and watch him and you dedicate some time to actually seeing him play, everything about his game is what I want to see in an Arsenal defender after losing the likes of David Luiz. Go and on, John. And why is the price relevant for Ben White but not Saliba? So the same people, I've, I've seen the same people who are saying, you know, that it's not, it doesn't matter how much we paid for Saliba, saying, we're paying 50 million for Ben White. What are we doing? We need other players. So, like, clearly, like, it, it's relevant because, and here's the thing, it's based off of this assumption that there's a, and it's not an unreasonable assumption, that there's a finite amount of money for us to spend in the window, right? And arguably, the, the, the argument that, 
on the other side is if we are going to spend 50 million on Ben White, we're not going to get it in areas where they think, and I think Owen kind of alluded to this, we need a little bit more help, like in the midfield, for example. But I don't know if that's even necessarily true. I think that if we're losing players like Jaka and Louise, we're going to need, especially knowing that Arteta likes to play ball from the defense to the attack, someone that when there when there's a midfield that's going to be probably better than ours, that we're going to have a player that can cut through that and, possess, and, and take possession from defense to attack efficiently. Ben White can do that by all accounts. Ben White is that's what he does. In fact, like people are going, maybe this guy should play in, in the midfield. That's how good he is at that. So you you know like drew said if it makes us better i'm all for it and i just think it's funny that that, that it's very selective when people use the the price tags oh it's so selective and like i'm i ask every single time someone goes like saliba is way better than than ben white and i go tell me why T tell me categorically explain to me why saliba is better than ben white what is it about his game what is it about his tackling show me some statistics show me some evidence that tells me why you believe Saliba is ben White, better than Ben White. And I get nothing. I, I, I've, I'm yet to see. And the thing is, and people know from watching the channel, I am always open to having my mind changed. Always. If someone can present me with an argument that will change my mind, I will change my mind. If there is enough evidence out there, unless it's Drew, but that's the only ever time I refuse. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. <laughs> it was coming. But I, I, I haven't seen anyone yet provide me that evidence the the closest that i've had so far is that when we did the the tactical breakdown on ben white and we had jeremy smith come on the show now jeremy is obviously a brighton fan so he's seen plenty of ben white he's also actually a massive massive in the know guy i hate to use that word but matt he is genuinely in the know about french football and knows his french football he believes that those two are kind of on kind of the same development track he's and he does say in the tactical breakdown he says do excuse my bias to French football. And that is another thing, is that a lot of the French football experts I know, like Jeremy, like Chris from Burkhardt Wonderland, go check them out and go check out Chris, by the way, is that there is a very clear bias towards French players and French football. And I sometimes see it with Chris. And I said to Chris the other day that he's obviously very quite annoyed right now that Genduzzi and Saliba are going to be going again. And I do feel that, say, if they were Spanish, say, if they were Italian, would he have that same connection? And I completely understand that because I'm the same way about, or rather was before, I've changed a bit since, but was about that with La Liga. I used to be so precious about La Liga players, La Liga talent, Ripple Salzburg players, of course, too. And it's it's almost impossible to remove bias at times. But I just want to see some like some tangible evidence put towards me that shows me why someone believes Saliba is better or should be playing over Ben White, other than oh, he's the next Varane, other than oh, he costs us 30 million quid. Like that, it's not a tangible argument for me. And just real fast, I, I also want, I, I want Owen to come in too, but this is where it frustrates me when people just look at data as end all be all explanation. You can't. Context. Exactly. Because I mean, yeah. if, you can, if you compare, say, Saliba versus Ben White, or I don't know, Saliba and Maverick Pounds or whoever it is, you can just sometimes the data comes out that some players is, is beyond clear of the other, like immeasurably. Mm. Without and then people look at that and say, "Well, look, look at this; he's better." But you you have to take in, again the context of the type of football that's being played at that club, the league that is being played in. These are other things that people don't really factor in, and it's kind of one of the things that I that I that I kind of mentioned about um, uh, Jadon Sancho coming to United. 
Um, I first of all, as a Dortmund supporter, I actually love Sancho. Let's get that clear. I think he's for me, he's England's best winger. I don't care what anybody says. There comes, there comes my, there comes my German bias, just like you have with your with Chris's French bias and, and your other yes. bias. I think Sancho's brilliant. I think he's England's best best winger. But you also have to understand that he's going to get less time and space on the ball in the Premier League. He's going to be facing low blocks almost every single week bar playing against the top six side. He doesn't face that in Germany, so he might come into the league and he might struggle at first. And then people are going to say, well, we paid 80 million pounds. We got gypped. He's yeah. he's a flop. And then that's the same argument that I had to suffer I all season long with Kai Harbert. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it drove me off the and wall. And Pepe. And Pepe, of course. And Pe- and the thing about well. yeah. Pepe, the thing with Pepe is that if he'd have come in for 30 million pounds, I could have stomached the 18 goal contributions in his first season, the fact that he struggled and stuff like that. But it is, I'm never going to get over the 72 million pounds. I'm never, ever going to get over that. And that's, uh, to be honest, I, I don't blame a lot of people for it. I don't think a lot of people are going to get over the fact that we paid 28 million quid for William Saliba and he's not got a single game of football. And Let get, me just read guess, that. And really quick. And quickly, John, because I just... The- of course, sure. Yeah. Can I just read this? Can I just read this comment? <laughs> I'm desperate to read this. Fuaban says, I'm not digging you out. I'm just highlighting this comment. Says, let's be objective about this. We cannot objectively compare the two of them as we have not seen Saliba play as the coach didn't give him his promised preseason. Now, that's fine. However, if that is the arguments being put forward, then how on earth can we ever say that it's worth playing him over someone like Ben White who has categorically, according to the people that have genuinely watched him, really excited them and really does and look towards him as a real star of the future and, and a possible and the reason why he's been called up for the England national team by you know the man who's bringing it home this summer. So uh, it's for me that it's that type of argument that really frustrates me because if he's not, we, we haven't seen him. So how on earth and why would you risk it as well rather than let's go out and sign a fifty million pound centre back? That's genuinely but- how I believe anyway. That good. I don't oh, you see jump some... right off there, are we? <laughs> Sorry, no, 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 for it. I, I, was, I was letting you. I was, letting I was doing it on purpose, but I'll go with it now uh, because he was so polite. No, I, I do see some sense in people having an issue with the fifty million pound price tag of Ben White because, well, it was forty million originally, the and right then, and like you feel that it, we should be going for a midfielder or a right back. Well, well it, it's not that; it's it, it's the deal that's being made. I don't understand the logic with some people when they talk about the outlay of funds. So, for example, what I would say is that. 50 million on Ben White. Some people say, oh, that's just the going rate for an English centre-back. That's the way of it. And then when somebody turns around and says that Arsenal could have the opportunity to sign James Madison for 60 million, it's a lot of money. I don't think Arsenal have the money to be spent on that. And it's like, where's the logic? You know, where? How, how can we outlay 50 million on a centre-back that some people, not myself, some people would be considered not a necessity at this stage, whilst we absolutely lack creativity last year. Emil Smith-Rowe is the only natural number 10 that we have in the squad at the minute, and somebody of the quality of, of James Madison is available between 60 to 70 million, and that's that, that's too big of a deal to get done. I just it, it, the, the, Some of the arguments lack logic, I think. Yeah. So what I, it actually kind of points out one what I was actually going to say was that uh, watch just and that's what we've got time for. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say watch the same arguments being made about that, that were made about Pepe about uh, Havertz uh, that he costs Ben White costs fifty million. Let's say he comes in for fifty million. He you know Jack is gone, Mesedozel's gone, uh, David Luiz is gone. Watch just watch. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> 
We'll just watch. Oh, we waited so long for that, just, John. Just watch, just, watch, just watch the arguments that are going to come out when the first time that he concedes an error leading to a goal. The 50 million price tag only matters if he fails. That, the, the, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. So true. You know? so true. It's, it genuinely is. Like it's we, we put a monetary value next to everything, especially because it's Arsenal. We, it's ironic because we've moaned for years about Arsenal not spending, and now we're spending too much. Stop spending, guys. <laughs> it's, it's, you, really, you, you, can't, you can't win. I think that's probably all our combined frustrations when we get, when we get yes. annoyed. So it's the fact that no matter what argument you yes. can present or what angle you take, it's you can't win. Anything that happens is a negative somehow, some way. But would you would you say that this is a positive, maybe Drew as well? Is that the fact that like going into this transfer window, I think centre back was one of the positions probably quite far down the pecking order of what's priority for Arsenal in this transfer window, and the fact that they're going and spending fifty million on that position, do you, do, would that give you encouragement to what they expect in midfield? You hope, you hope, but it's Arsenal. That's that's the problem. <laughs> that's the problem here. It is. It is. Because, like, yes, that sounds great. Because it's like, wow, we have 50 million for a center back. Like, clearly, we're going to go big in the midfield and we're going to get a back. And then we're kind of seeing, like, wait, look at this backup winger that we're getting or the backup left back. Uh, this is, or, you know, yeah, Tavaresh. And is that how you say it? Tavaresh? I'm not saying that. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, and this never happened. So, no, but, and you're looking at that, you're going, well, this doesn't seem very good. And we're getting linked to all these players. And, like, clearly, one of our good midfield options went really early on and it just doesn't it seems like we're just going to drop the ball on it if, if history tells us anything we're going to drop the ball and and that's the that's the fear that a lot of people have and i i would be lying if i said i didn't have that as well especially it's like yes ben white would be great and i think that he's actually going to fit the kind of style that we want to play really well but it's only great if that's not the only signing we make mm-hmm. yeah i i think john hits the nail on the head there and i i, I can't disagree with that if if you ask me that question, Owen, oh, and we're in September, and our only key signing was Ben White, I'd probably throw myself out this window right here. Like, <laughs> consider, like, literally, because I, I can't even imagine, and justly so, I think we'd all be really frustrated, and, and everyone in the chat and the whole fan base would rightly be frustrated with the fact that we spent 50 million on what none of us thought to be our real need. Everyone went to somebody knowing we need, we need a center, maybe probably need two center bits, considering, you know, Willock might still leave. You know, Guendouzi's out the door now. Um, you know, Maitland Niles is probably leaving and isn't really a midfielder in the first place. So like all these all these things that we've already discussed on multiple pods and you've seen on multiple blogs and wh- wherever else. But so yeah, I, I think that if we get white and then we go out and spend, I don't know, another 40 or 50 million pounds on a midfielder, then you can say that's that's good. The club's done well. But if it's just white, then and a keeper. We have one keeper now. Yeah, that's <laughs> we talked about that. We talked, well, we had one keeper even with Renison anyway. So let's yeah, but very, very true. <laughs> yeah. But now we really don't, because now if Leno was to get injured, God forbid. This is what this is this is know, important. Whatever. It is an important point. If if Arsenal the thing is, is that whilst I'm sitting here and saying like I'm happy for Arsenal to go out and spend fifty million on white, however, if you play me the caveat and say fifty million pound on white means Arsenal don't spend fifty million pound on the midfield, obviously I'm backtracking. I'm saying I'd rather we spend fifty million on the midfield hundred percent. That's not the argument I'm coming for. And we won't really know until the end of the season to have a legitimate conclusion about the signing of white and whether or not it was the right choice of where we allocated our funds this summer we're just purely talking about it as a closed off scenario and assessing why as an individual independently of any other kind of factors right now 
Uh, and that's also, and as Drew said earlier, talking about stats, it is all about context. That That is what's most important. Anyway, we move on to the last half an hour of the show, which is, of course, the final part where you guys in the chat box get to be the stars of the show and ask your questions. Throw them into the chat box and we'll try and get through them as many as possible. There are quite a few of these. There's over 600 of you watching currently, so please do drop a like on the video uh, if you are enjoying the show and uh, even if you're not and if you disagree with us because the whole point is about opinions so uh, uh, please do uh, early predictions Drew says Dan Robert uh, for the season uh, top scorer a sister for this season Rasta what's your prediction for the oh, season man. Drew I have no idea it's really hard because for all I know we could sell Oba and Lagazette in the next yes. month and then where are we so I'm not quite sure but I think Hmm. I think player. <laughs> um, I genuinely think player this season is going to go to Saka. Um, I think for uh, in the context. No, <laughs> Christ, I hate you sometimes. Um, no, I think you can see how he's taken to the England camp. How everyone there has said, said nothing but glowing things about how he's immediately bedded in, and I think. Us as Arsenal fans already know that he's had that impact with us, and I think he's only going to go from from shank to shank now. He's boasted by the confidence of, of his appearances for England, especially if England go on to win Euro twenty twenty. He played a large part in that in, in certain stages. So um, I think he could go on to actually being one of the one of the if not the key, one of the key players we should be building around over the next however long. So players he's not going to give to Saka top scorer. I don't have a clue. Um, if if our yeah. squad was opening day as it is now i would probably still say like i said just because tactically he suits arteta just a little better than Den Obama. Yeah. Um, no i think Pepe, i think people will be up there um especially i would expect him that he would be starting given you know his he's, he's found he's found a new life on the on the left with slack on the right so um i still go with like i said i think he was only if he last season he still had 14 was it 14 goals in Premier League last year so yeah. maybe with that um papa's sister maybe smith Rowe if he's a starter um, you don't know. We don't even know if we're going to be getting a 10 or not. So another question, I have no idea. Like, the magic change? Because we could go out and get, you know, a creative midfielder within the next month and a half. So I don't know. But, yeah, I'd probably go with Smith Rowe with that. So those would be my three answers. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a really difficult question, not knowing all of what's going to happen for the rest of the season, of course. Uh, Czech Perk uh, has asked a question. Johnny says, uh, not many links towards number nines. Are you confident about our options up top? Uh it's so weird, right? Because like I, I, we've been focusing so much on the midfield and the back line. Like, what what's going on up front? Is it going to be Lacazette? Is it going to be you know? Is Saka going to be a not? Like, we don't even know what the attack's going to look like, which is so frustrating because the whole point of last season was listen of the defense we got it we sorted it now let's work on this midfield and this attack and start creating more and stuff like that. And I don't know what we've done. Actually, let me say that again. I know that we've done absolutely nothing to fix that. So either that it needs to be a different game plan going forward, or they need to bring someone in that's going to fit some kind of style of play that's going to allow us to create more chances and get at the end of more balls. Because I agree. I don't think there's a lot of talk about number nines, and I'm not confident about our, our options up top. I know that Lacazette is a, is, is, a, is a solid player. Aubameyang is a solid player. He had a bad season. We're seeing these videos of him training and stuff, but, you know, who knows? Who knows what that's going to you know, if Aubameyang plays like he did last season, we're gonna have a lot of trouble scoring goals. And if if Lacazette, you know, barely gets a sniff at the at the starting lineup again, then we're gonna have a lot of problems scoring goals as well. And it looks like Eddie might be on his way out. So like we, do, I don't know what's going on with the front there. And that's one of the frustrating things about spending fifty million dollars on a, on a on a on a 
you know, on the center back. But uh, at the end of the day, like I said, if we, we haven't if done we, much of that about center backs, we should talk we, about that. <laughs> if we check all the boxes that we need to, I think it has to include either a game plan for our forwards or a new forward coming in because I am not confident about our options up front. Pepe uh, is going to be great, by the way. I agree with that. Yeah, I think Pepe is going to have a good season. I really am looking forward to watching Pepe this season. And I hope he's a consistent starter. That's the, that's the main thing for me is we just got to hope he's a consistent starter. Um, Matt G in the chat, thank you for the super chat. It says, I'm boycotting Spotify until Daniel Ek buys the club, but I miss my Taylor Swift playlist. Tom, can you and the boys tell us their favorite Taylor Swift song and sing some of it, please? I mean, Matt, I really appreciate the, the donation, but I'm really sorry. You're going to have to shake it off. Uh, Cot says, uh, how about old centre-back with experience like Benucci, uh, says Cot. Uh, uh, I, mean, I mean, there's obviously Ramos is, is available. We've been linked to Ramos. How do you feel about bringing in an experienced centre-back this summer? Um, it's one of those sort of catch-22 things in it because... I think with the current crop of players that we have, that would be maybe the right move. But then again, it, it reverts back to the thing of, uh, we talked earlier about our squad being um, too young and how many youngsters can you fit in? But yet we go to sign anybody o- over the age of 20, 26, 27, and people are saying, like, we're signing old, old players again. There's no sell-on value. So it, it's a really, really difficult one to get right. Um my automatic sort of response would be would be no. I don't think that we should. Um, I think that uh, Mikel Arteta's project has been sold to us as a, as a rebuild and a cultural rebuild. Uh, and for me to keep his sort of stamp on that and for him to continue continue on in that path, uh, we need to be signing sort of young up-and-comers. I agree with you. Uh, I think it's certainly an area of the field that we need to be focusing on, on bringing in younger profiles, just that we have that sell-on value as a, as a main one. Um, let's go for Sai, Drew, who says, why would I still feel insecure even if we sign up to £200 million worth of players? Please explain. <laughs> I think I think John's already touched on it. It's because the, the track record has been very spotty. It's Some of the deals have been superb. Some of the deals have been absolute brain farts. So I think that's the reason. It's not about... I hate the cliche term, but it's not about how much you spend. It's if you spent it correctly. And you can spend 200 million pounds and it'd be absolutely awful. You can also spend 100 million pounds and it can be absolutely brilliant. So I think, again, I think it's just like that kind of that, that, that first reaction gut instinct nervousness that a lot of our fans have because things haven't gone particularly well across the board in transfers for the last couple of seasons. So maybe that's why. Um, first, I mean, I'd love it if we spent 200 million pounds on this summer, but it's just you got to hope that we did it right. So, yeah, that would be my my take. Yeah, uh, that's fair enough. Um, Ranpur says, I mean, it's a question on Pepe. We were talking a bit. Ranpur says, uh, will Pepe be able to continue, you think, his good form into next season, John? He will because he he's going to play for Arsenal and probably play at some point in the season. So he will be able to continue <laughs> his good that? form. But, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I hope so. I hope so. He's, I think We've he's been doing this podcast for six years. That is the worst answer to a question. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my Thank God. you. No, look, oh. look. To, to answer your question, yeah, I think, I think, I think we're going to see a good, and that's why I was mentioning a little bit earlier. So I think that Pepe's going to have a good season, and I think that. Um, it's hard to say only because I don't know what the midfield is going to look like only because I don't know exactly how he's going to want to set up. I, I'm, I guess Bellerin is going to be our right back. So when I'm thinking of Pepe up on that right-hand side, you think he's going to be our right back. I think, think Bellerin's I mean, going to be here. 
I think so. I, I, I think so. I think so. I would be, I, I do. Is it because mm-hmm. I, I, have we seen anything like any kind of indication? Yeah. He's I, I think he's him? gone. Do you really? Okay. All yeah. Right, maybe. I, I All really right, genuinely we'll, think he's gone. So <laughs> who are we getting in the right back then? I will you bet you 10 pounds here now. Bellerin is gone by the end of this summer window. Drew, what do you think? I don't think we're gonna. I think we're gonna see Calm Chambers as our starting right back on match day one. Don't be, right. I would. I would not be surprised if he well, actually. Maybe was. it's just maybe it's 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 wishful thinking that I I, I would I don't know if I want to see uh, Callum Chambers starting at right back. Um, I, if we're gonna if we're losing Bellerin, I would like to see something better. Anyway, questions about Pepe. Point is, yes, I think, <laughs> I, think Pepe, I think Pepe is gonna have a good season. This is this is this is why we're an hour into it. Okay, I th- I think it's yeah. gonna be a good season. I think it's gonna be a good season for him. Yes, okay. he will be. Cool. We got that. <laughs> <Sorry> <laughs> me. Um, Wesley uh, says uh, for everyone except me. It's nice of him. I can't find the question. I disappeared <laughs> off the screen. Um, says for everyone except uh, Tom, your realistic choice for Granite Xhaka. Owen, we'll start with you. Masuma, I am on the hype train, man. It is, and I, I, it's one that I really yes. just don't, man. I just, I really, really, really don't understand what this club think at times. Because I mean, yeah. you talk about taking the low hanging fruit. The guys running about wearing Arsenal kits and Arsenal merchandise. He's, he's basically crying to be bought. The price tag is assumed to be in around the region of thirty million, which is an absolute steal for a player of his quality, his profile, his age. I, it's just I don't understand what the club are thinking when they're looking. Not that I, uh, I don't like some of the other targets, but in terms of what you're getting for what you're paying, the Basuma package deal is the is the most attractive for me, and um, hopefully the sea sense. Oh, God, we missed out on John Lundstrom going to Rangers. <laughs> Drew. So typical Drew overanalyzes this question by like a factor of 10. So it's hard for me to answer because I don't know. Just listen, <laughs> shut your mouth. Um, I don't know if we're going to be doing like 4-3-3 next season or 4-2-3-1. So oh, Drew, you know what I mean? who's your choice? <laughs> who's your Xhaka replacement? That's the oh. worst answer we've heard on this podcast. <laughs> We've been doing this podcast for six years. <laughs> if, I had, if I had to answer for the sake of keeping things to what we know that we know has worked, I would go with Coop Meaners. Unlike most people have actually watched Coop Meaners a considerable amount. Is he gone and to that, I thought he'd gone. Does he I don't like... think, no, I don't think he's gone. I think he might no. be going and he should be going to a bigger club than Azad. And I think he will this summer. So that's why I think we should go and get him now for like, for like, he's just like Jacob, but a little bit better for me, smarter on the ball, a um, little bit better pace. You know, he's in the Dutch camp. So he's, you know, and, and he's got leadership. He's already as its captain. I think he's 22 or 23 years old. So that would be my choice. Um, I know it wouldn't be as popular as Basuma. I would rate Basuma if we got him, obviously. Oh, and I just think that because we might be spending fifty million pounds on Ben White, we can't go up. You might go after <laughs> have to get have to get a, a good midfielder for a little bit of a cheaper price point. So that would be my choice. John, I'm I'm right there with Drew, and it's interesting because I actually didn't really know much about the player. The last time we were on a podcast and this a similar question was asked, Drew had the same answer, and I was like, "Oh, well, let you know, let me look into this guy." And he is definitely that kind of like for like. If we're looking for that type of player, um, with respect to kind of how he's going to progress the ball in the way that jo- that Arteta wants to, so I'm I'm right there with I'm right there with Drew. My only caveat is that we're going to need another signing in midfield to cover. For the and 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 the, there's even a caveat. There's a caveat mm-hmm. to that caveat as well. Yes, and I think I think Lukongo is going to be it. Uh, the caveat to my caveat is that 
we are not going to be the in last Europe. Podcast. Wait, wait, hold on. Let me let me just say it. it's going to make sense when I if you let me talk. Um, so initially, I'm thinking you're looking at a player like Jaka. He's always available, fit, meaning he's always available for selection. He's very seldom injured, almost never injured. So you know that you're going to be able to rely on that player. Uh, pretty much week in, week out for almost every tournament. And not only that, he plays 90 minutes for every time he's on the pitch, essentially. So not only you know that you're going to have a player that's there. So the the alternative is going to be if he gets injured, which is probably whoever we get there is going to be injured more than Jaka was. We're going to likely rely more on the uh, on a backup. In that case, it was like El Neni or Lakanga if we if we make the signing. So so that's fine. The caveat to my caveat was that we're not in Europe anymore. So we're only really focused on the cup competition and the, the domestic cup and on the league. So there's a significantly less amount of games that we need to play. So I don't think uh, it's as important to sign an, a super technical, great backup to whoever we signed for, for Jaco. That's why I'm still going to go with, with the same signing. I think a Basuma signing would be amazing. That's like the ideal, um, I think. But if we're wanting, if we're wanting to play a similar way and Arteta wants to play that way, I think that that would be the best. Fair enough. Uh, I mean, I I choose Locatelli all day long, um, so that's that's my my choice. Um, there's no caveats. There's just an answer. <laughs> so there you go. Um, RG, <laughs> uh, Owen says, uh, sorry, Owen. The question from RG who says, uh, do you guys think that presence of fellow Arteta outcast Genduzi being at Marseille would nudge Saliba away from Arsenal permanently if he goes there. Uh, Genduzi, the Grinch. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine Genduzi in a Christmas film? That'd be great. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, I don't know what it is about that French uh, core yeah, group well. of young youngsters there, <laughs> man. No, man, it's it's no, but like like look at uh, Genduzi, um, Rabio, uh, Mbappe. I think his temperament at the Euros was absolutely awful, but. Do you want to know what? I think family members in the crowd. It did, yeah. There was a bit of a domestic. It was like an episode of EastEnders. It was it was wild. <laughs> um, but uh, no, look, I think William Saliba, for me, judging by the things that he's said to the press over over this past 18 months or so, um, I think that his agent is probably the, the worst suspect that we can have as to who could lead William Saliba astray. Um in terms of Ganduzi, I don't know. It would all depend on how close they are, I suppose. You can only speculate as to what their relationship would be, if it's a positive one or a negative one. I'm not too sure. But at the end of the day, I think it comes down to a lot with these guys is, is, is finances and game time. And that it would all depend on, on how the sort of landscape looks when that loan period comes to an end, uh, rather than what he's what's being whispered in his ear. Although in saying that, if there's ever a time to see how the power of whispering in somebody's ear it's a look at uh Buendia with uh Amy Martinez you know so you never know yeah, yeah. I mean oh Dustin Villa just irritating speaking of which um Drew Karthik says is there a price for you guys that you would sell Smith Rowe for this summer absolutely not um Unlike most people, I'm probably not. I'm like I'm okay if we sold a young player of promise if the price point was correct. I just don't think now. I don't think this is the right summer to entertain that. I think if we were in better standing in the league, if we were generally fighting for top four, making a push for the title, you know, and we were bringing in constantly bringing in big players in, in his position, and we, he wasn't going to get the minutes he wanted, then I would be okay with selling him. Just he can go on and, and build a career elsewhere, but. 
there's still plenty of scope for him to still be one of those key players we build around moving forward over the coming years. And he's shown that, that he suits what Arteta needs. So no, I wouldn't sell him at all. I, I don't think that, I think the, the price would be astronomical for me to want to consider it. That's just, that's just my take. So. See, this uh, is why I wouldn't well. do well. This is why I wouldn't do well in business. Okay. Because right now, if I was Stan Kroenke, I would just buy Aston Villa and liquidate them for the sheep that they have shown. <laughs> them absolute, absolute bunch of bottom dwellers. You know, like, uh, oh. They still finish below us. That's the, the stupidest part about this whole thing is that the fans are like on this high horse and like our worst season ever and we finished uh, above them. So go, go, I, go away, go away. I wrote, <laughs> I wrote a, a piece about the fact how why you why people should take the Villa bid for Smith Rowe seriously because of the context behind it. But I tell you what, I agree with you, John. I am so sick of Aston Villa fans commenting on where, my where videos. I'm like, so where, sick where, of it. All of a sudden, like Villa is somehow I don't relevant. Know. Like, is, it's not like and 90 stuff. years ago. Like maybe you were relevant 90 years ago, but then. Oh man, I've got a friend of mine who is from Birmingham, and he is an Aston Villa fan. And we watched because I was at uni when we beat Aston Villa in the FA Cup final. We watched it together. And honestly, I just hearing his Brummy accent is just when Arsenal was scoring those goals was the most. Because I mean, the Brummy accent in general, if you aren't aware, is it, it's quite a miserable sounding accent. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, wait, uh, like Drew, if you were an accent, uh, it would be the best. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Wow! What? All right. <laughs> Oh, Ed says, uh, Drew, uh, sorry, John, I think is next. Uh, yeah. I was, I'll give you a cheerier answer. Uh, our fans <laughs> are writing the impact of the African Cup of Nations on signings. For most players, we are worrying about two to three games missed on a five-year deal. So here's the caveat that the nurse is giving. Uh, are fans overreacting about the AAF con? I think so. I mean, here's the thing. I think that fans are are a little upset over just the history of our players going out on loan and be and getting injured, or not on loan, out on, on random tournaments and getting injured and things like that. Um, I think that there's a lot of football to be played and that obviously less now than there was last season given we're out of Europe. But um, – I don't think it's that big of a deal, uh, especially if if they do leave, it gives these younger players a chance to play in the league, whereas we don't have that avenue anymore with Europe. If you look at your players like your Saka and your Mill Smith Rowe, they were allowed to come into this team because, because we had Europe uh, and Europa, which was this kind of cauldron for these younger players to show what they had. If it weren't for Europa League and the extra games, uh, in addition to the Premier League, uh, which was our main goal at the time, uh, we wouldn't have seen Saka. We wouldn't have seen Mill Smith Rowe, and they wouldn't have been able to get consistent time to show us how good they are. So without Europe, I think that there's going to need to be that avenue. And when you have certain attacking players like uh, like all, all you know, the players that are going to be going to that tournament, you're going to have younger players that are now going to be able to step up in their absence to perhaps show what they got. Um, even if it's only a run of three or five games, that's all it took for some players. Yeah, very, very true. Uh, Owen, uh, Timothy Lowell says, Tom, on your question about how many young players are playing at top clubs, well, Barcelona have quite a few. Pedri, Araujo, Minella, Dest, uh, Fatty when he played and others, but not regularly. I think the point is it's about not regularly. I mean, if you look at Fatty and, and Pedri, for instance, they are out on their own as two of the, the biggest teenage talents in the world right now, um, as is Bukayo Saka. Do you think that the... 
I mean, there is scope for for teams to play with with more than kind of one twenty one and, and young year old, or is it a case of it's kind of uh, depends on on how good they are, which sounds silly in my head when I've said it back. But do you know what I mean? That's... Yeah, I, I think, and I, I've mentioned before, even when discussing our own players, that I I often think that we we think of these players as, as kids for too long. For me, twenty one, you're not a kid anymore. You're you're you should be a fully fledged first team player, mm-hmm. and and your development should be should be well established by that stage um you know i always talk we look at frank lampard stevie gerrard john terry Ryan Giggs, all these players named countless of them and they were all absolutely fantastic at that age so for me the the age thing doesn't matter but what i will say is and and barcelona is actually quite quite a good example of that and i would argue as well that that that's partially possibly the reason that barcelona have slightly declined um over the last number of years but at the same time they still have uh Tristegen and nets they have gerard Piquet at the back they have sergio Busquets like and, and that little guy leo up front um you know so you talk about like listen to their names are just rattled off you know it would mesmerize you thinking about the fact that they still have a spine that good um so that's the massive difference between us you know is the fact that uh, and i think the big thing that annoys me about with arsenal if you want to use that as an example for arsenal even our senior players are fragile in temperament you look at pierre emmerich Aubameyang, you look at grandma jacker we're starting to crack that with people like thomas Partey and kieran tierney but it's going to take more than two signings to to crack that sort of soft underbelly that arsenal have had for for numerous years yeah. so i saw john's face so I'm, not, I'm going to be brief but um to, to build on owen's point the league also matters as well youngsters playing considerable minutes for big clubs in the Premier League, it's different than if you're playing in La Liga, Bundesliga, Liga, where mistakes aren't killed off with the efficiency and the effectiveness they are in the Premier League. The Premier League is the top club in the world. It's, it's got the, the largest conglomerate of stars, the top-level players playing in one league. So the expectations for younger players like an Ansu Fati in order to have three or four players that are 18, 19, 20, is only start 11, just doesn't happen. It happens in Germany because it's that's every club in Germany does it. Even sometimes, mm-hmm. even sometimes by Dortmund still do it, etc. You get the same thing in France, Belgium, the Netherlands, whatever. But the Premier League is a little bit of a different animal. So I think if you have one or two, where do you have one or two young players in R11, really? And then you know Tierney was bordering on it when he first came in. So I think that's kind of enough. I think there's got to be a finite point where you have to say we can have a lot of young players in the squad, but to say that we were, were relying on four and five young players in the first team 11 is a little bit of a different balance for me. And I, but I agree with you overall though that. When you're developing players, players you you'll like by the time a player is 19, 20 years old, if they're first team ready, they're first team ready by that age. It's rare when they're ready by 17, 18 yeah. years old, 19, 20 years old. At a club like Barca right. or Arsenal, exactly. when they get to 2021 20, and they're not playing, that's that's probably tells you the indication they're not going to make it at that level nine times out of ten. Like, yeah. You look at Nelson, you look at Nketiah, have reached that age now. Uh, and they're not playing, and that probably gives you the best indication about about their future. There are circumstances where you get late bloomers. Of course, you think about like Olivier Giroud was playing at the lower levels of French football. Right, Jamie, Jamie Vardy is a prime one that people love. This exactly, yeah, Jamie so, Vardy. But, yeah, but that's rare as well. It's just as rare as a seventeen-year-old breaking through at seventeen as it is. Exactly. So, Fatty is a he's a, a real enigma um, yeah. of, of kind of a talent that comes through, and you don't really get that often. Um, let's, we've got time for one more question each, so we'll do that. Uh, we'll go in reverse order. Uh, uh, Owen, uh, Elliot Roberts says, uh, after the signing of Tavares, uh, Lokonga and White, where do Arsenal go from there? 
Oh, somewhere, hopefully. <laughs> um, Great. <laughs> well, look, uh, the, the only thing you have no is... scope, John, to critique answers. <laughs> <laughs> I just did. I just did. <laughs> no, look, look, I think that when you look at the, those names in particular, you're looking at although um, Ben White is is involved with the, the English national team, he's relatively uninvolved negotiations. I'm sure are taking place with him personally as well, but. The one thing I would say is that they are all relatively uninvolved with the European Championships. And um, for me, I think that once the Euros finish and players' holidays um, are over, that's when we're going to see the club spring into action. So I'd like to hope within the next maybe fortnight to three weeks, we will really start to see Arsenal um, starting to push on and getting some bigger names in. I'm expecting some, uh, not marquee signings, but some more recognisable uh, uh, names and, and guaranteed first-team starters. So uh, I'll start to panic after another another three or four weeks if we're hearing absolutely nothing. John, uh, Antonio Banks says, do you think our youth recruitment should be better? The depth of talented players at academies at Man City and Chelsea is much higher than that of Arsenal's. I mean, it's kind of interesting considering when you look at players like Saka and ESR, um, it's hard to say that we're youth, our youth recruitment is poor. I, I, I guess, I mean, they're, they're pretty much first team starter. We have a player that's starting for England, you know, in a major European in, in the Euros. So, um I think is there you know we're seeing a lot of players go out on loan and stuff like that. But how many players do you really expect at any team, even those that you mentioned, Man City or Chelsea, that make the breakthrough, like players like Emil Smith Rowe and, and Sakada? What they've done is is very very rare and and very important to how we're we're planning the entire rebuild of this club going forward. We're we're, we're throwing around numbers like seventy million for ESR. Who knows what Sakada's worth in this market right now? Uh, probably over a hundred million. So. Uh, should it be better? I think it just needs to be as consistent as it was, as it has been. If we can uncover a player like Saka or ESR every three, five years, <laughs> I mean, that would be pretty damn good. So uh, hopefully it, 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 keeps, it keeps up the way it is because I think that there's been some very, very good talents coming through there. I think people look at where the youth side finish in the table and assume that our academy is in, in kind of a, a really bad situation. I'm not saying that it isn't in the best state, but the thing is, is you look at, how many of our first who would actually get into that academy side are either in the Arsenal first team or off on loan last season? That that it's bare bones like the academy um, in terms of the players that are there. Sorry, and people in the chat are pointing out that we're talking about player recruitment, but we're also talking about depth of talent and player lacking in Arsenal's academy. And I don't necessarily yeah. agree that that's the case. It, let me let me I'll, I'll put it this way: assuming that it is true that our that. Uh, Arsenal's academy is lacking talent, which I'm not necessarily conceding to because I don't think it is. Um, then I think we should be looking not in not in Premier League in the Premier League. I think we should be looking at youth players all over Europe, uh, which you can't do Europe. anymore, right? And you can't even do that. So really, what what are you stuck with? You're stuck exactly. With, I think people are missing this as well. Like a lot of what's happened recently is that in the last couple of years before Brexit and the, and the situation with that is that teams like Man United, Chelsea, City went out and pillaged a lot of continental talent at that age because they knew at the start of 2021 that that would become banned. You can't now sign players from the continent from the ages of 16 to 18 and that's why a lot of players... We did it as well. We brought in the likes of Joel Idaho from Ajax. We brought in uh, Omar Rekic from Hertha Berlin. Yes, uh, Jan as well. We yes, need. of course. Um, and I mean, we brought in Nikolai Moller, the, the Swedish striker. So we did a few of 
those to try and basically beat that. And Salah Redin, I think his name is uh, from final that came in too. So we went out and did some of that. But it is, it is about more the fact that we have produced some really good young players and we are still going out and signing some decent young players. Martinelli is a very good example of that. Um, it's just a simple case of the fact that unfortunately for the youth side is that a lot of the players when they get to a certain age spend time away on loan or already good enough to be playing in the first team so I wouldn't necessarily correlate how bad the the youth team is doing in the PL2 with how bad their production of youth talent actually is because it doesn't always correlate it's it's not just that oh my god I'm gonna I'm gonna spare everybody a rant (laughs) <laughs> but, but youth football at that level is not about winning the youth league. It's about developing the players. The results right, yeah. are secondary. It's about how well I'm producing the players after coming on, if they fit whatever tactical and technical culture we're building at the club. It's not about if we win the youth league every season. That's secondary, you know. And that for me, I think it's yeah. It's just you're looking at things just the wrong way. Right, and which is why if you look at my, the start when I answered this question, I said, I'm looking at the players that have succeeded from Correct. those youth academies. That's the biggest test to, yeah. is your academy working? Are you getting successful young players, you know, coming into the first team yeah. of their squad or, yeah. or, you know, doing good things? And clearly we have, so. Yeah, we look how many... We're getting multiple. So, so soccer, the CSR, they want to have Aziz in and around the camp this season. There's a lot of Just buzz around. Yeah. This, yeah. There's, a lot, there's, a lot, there's a lot of buzz around Patino as well. There's buzz around uh, uh, Shoyan as well. Nikolai mm-hmm. Muller's highly thought of. There's five, there's five or six players that we've just rattled off of that might have scope to get Premier League minutes with the first team over the next year or two, and they've all come from the academy. It doesn't matter if the academy has won the, the youth leagues. Look what Joe Willick just did on loan. I mean, yeah. you know, you could say whether he's, he's the, the kind of player you're talking about, but this is a player that came through the academy and is basically saved Newcastle from relegation. So... I think that's pretty damn good, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think there's really anything wrong with our youth production uh, at the moment, no. to be honest. I think it's an area that we need to be critique. I mean, we've gone full circle with the pod. We started off the show talking about, do we have enough uh, kids and is it justifiable playing enough kids in the first team? And now we're talking about, is the academy good enough? Oh, Anyway, um, we're probably, we've run out of time, uh, unfortunately, to go for any more of your questions. Thank you ever so much, guys, for, for tuning in this evening. It's been a fantastic show and a lot of really good in, insight from uh, my panel. Of, of experts that you've had this evening with their caveats and everything it's been fantastic um but uh, before we go last thing i need to say is that mike from the gooners podcast of which owen is of course from that parish also um is doing a Parishes. fantastic thing this summer <laughs> yeah there you go um he's doing a fantastic thing this summer for a cause called gooners versus cancer you may or may not have already heard of it i'm sure plenty of you have already it was a fantastic cause that went really well last year and the year before that and, and however long it's been established for now um but this summer one of the ways they're raising money is they're doing something that i know a lot of you would be interested in they're doing a fifa tournament um you can donate 25 dollars, i think it is to enter uh, and then you can play on either xbox or playstation so if you like your fifa if you like uh showing how good you are at something uh this this means nothing in the real life of tangible experience uh then you can do that and uh and donate some money to a fantastic cause as well and help some some people who really do genuinely need it so the link to both of the xbox and the ps5 uh did i say ps4 earlier on ps5 tournament are in the description so please make sure you do click the links check it out and if you don't even want to play and you still want to donate to gunners versus cancer all of the stuff is still there as well so please make sure you do speaking of which owen thank you ever so much for coming on mate always appreciate your time 
No, it's a pleasure. It's been too long, and I'm I'm glad we got through that. It was it was a bit laboursome with uh, John's negativity, but 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 we got there in the end. I'm, apparently, I'm on the verge of a stroke, according to someone on the chat. So. Yeah, somebody. You know what I find is really funny is when people say that we look miserable. It's like they exit. They expect us to sit here smiling our faces off when someone's t- someone else is talking. It's well, like Drew's chatting away. I'm sitting there like. I can tell you, as, so, as, somebody, as somebody that watches often from the opposite side of the screen, I'm normally in a pair of boxer shorts on my bed with s- sweets or crisps lying on top of me, double chin. And so I can guarantee you the critics don't look any better. Yeah, but there was a brilliant comment earlier about yourself, John, in the chat saying that you need to meditate. There, like, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I, I make, I just got this like, Nespresso maker, so I've been literally drinking espresso all for for probably. Other coffee makers are available. Yeah, well, that's the one. That's the one I've been on, and it's not an official one of this podcast yet. So that I'm not getting paid to say this, but so that could be why I, I look like I'm having a stroke. Maybe uh, I guess. Oh, so many espressos. Uh, thank you, John. Anyway, for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no, no problem. And uh, what is, uh, is the Miami podcast coming back this season? Or uh... we'll see. We'll see if I'm. We'll see if I'm. You know, uh, probably not. I just missed the <laughs> intro music. I mean, I have to buy it off you. I have to buy the rights. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Drew, thank you ever so much for coming on, mate. Pleasure to have you on once again. Of course, it's good to see the guys again. We should probably do this a little bit more often than once every half decade. So, yes. <laughs> I mean, since we all stopped writing on the site because we all got yeah. a job. Lines. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Probably... but yeah, no, and uh, thanks for the chat as usual. I know they, they take the piss out of us too, but it's always good to have them on. And like, I oh, keep trying to say, their, their support's like phenomenal. How they've helped you grow the channel and you know the things that they donate, it's been great. So, thank you guys for the chat. Thanks for hanging out with us as well, as always. So, yeah, definitely. So, um, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. It's been fantastic. You've had easily over a thousand of you, uh, individually in here this evening watching us talk some absolute rubbish at times and uh, and entertain your evening. If you prefer not to look at our ugly faces, you can listen to this show on audio only platforms as well. It is available on Spotify and SoundCloud and iTunes. It'll be uploaded about an hour or so after it goes live. So, please make sure you do. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Uh, for the transfer show, episode 64. Uh, Lane is going to be on tomorrow morning so I look forward to giving you guys that content as always yes we love these early morning get-ups it's fantastic um, we'll see you again very very soon guys it's an absolute pleasure and as always up the Arsenal it's the 90 plus minute all your mates around, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered. I fans.